I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, 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 well, hello. Uh, welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion, where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories here in my drawing room. Uh, this week, we continue uh, reading David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. It's the eighth novel, uh, first published as a serial in 1849-1850, and then he said, ah, this is making money, so he publishes a book in 1850, and it's widely considered his most popular work. <clears throat> About the author, well, he was born the 7th of February, 1812, and he died the 9th of June, 1870. Uh, fun facts, I can't give up the fake door. He's got a false door that looks like a bookcase, in his home that has, among a bunch of fake, uh, funny comedy titles of you know, fake books that he's got on the shelf, uh, he's got uh, a Batman costume. So I've been trying to dig in deeper on that. Uh, I looked at theguardian.com. They said that Gads Hill Place, uh, where Dickens lived with his sister-in-law as a housekeeper, after his brutal separation from his wife, Catherine, and entertained on epic scale with a cellar fit for a wine merchant. It was so, uh, sold soon after his death from a stroke, age 58. Uh, the contents were scattered, although the door, designed as a fake bookcase with titles including The Life of a Cat in Nine Volumes, <laughs> which Dickens brought uh, from his home to Tavistock Square, remains uh, in the best-preserved room, his study. So I looked, on, uh, looked around and I found uh, rotetrips.wordpress.com wrote an article about the secret bookcase. It says what makes his faux bookcase so much fun is that Dickens made up the book titles. Uh, his wit and style is readily apparent with uh, book jackets displaying names like History of a Short Chancery Suit in 21 Volumes, Socrates on Wedlock, uh, King Henry VIII, Evidences of Christianity, and the series uh, The Wisdom of Our Ancestors. Uh, well, I already read this before. One, ignorance. Two, superstition. Three, the block. Four, the stake. Five, the rack. Uh, six, the dirt. And seven, disease. Along with these was placed a very narrow dummy volume entitled The Virtues of Our Ancestors. So I uh, kept looking because I want to read more about the Batman suit. Unless the previous article that I got the Batman suit from was just made up to begin with. I don't know, but I'm just digging, someone made mention of the Batman suit in his closet uh, or his secret room. So, uh, uh, Independent C-O-U-K uh, just talks about it, what he had in there, which is the life and letters of a learned pig, the pleasures of boredom, a poem, was Shakespeare's father Mary, was Shakespeare's mother fair, uh, General Tom Thumb's Modern Warfare Woods and Forests by Peter the Wild Boy, and Treaties on the Tapeworm by Tim Robin. So, none of that talks about the Batman suit that 
the previous one. Where did I get that from? Uh, Discoverwalks.com, top 10 facts about Charles Dickens, mentions that he's got a, he, he has a Batman suit in his secret room. I need to know more about that. And I'll keep digging, but this is all I can find so far. Oh, uh, today, when this is released, is uh, Read Across America Day. So try your hardest to get your kids to, when they're done with school, to sit down and read a good book, which is damn near impossible, because uh, kids don't do anything after school. They just want to stop existing, more or less. So good luck with that on Read Across America Day. Uh, well, let's recap the previous chapter. Uh, Miss Betsy writes to Birdstone and tells him uh, she's got the David. Uh, she tells David that she can't decide what she's going to do until Birdstone shows up. Burp or writes back. David finds out that Dick <laughs> has mental problems. He's been working on a never-ending manuscript about his involvement on the beheading of King Charles. Uh, he also likes flying kites with his own uh, work on the kite. Oh, thank God. Normally I have to just waste time until I finally get to the grandfather clock. But here it is. So let's dive into our story. Well, let's just dive in. No point getting our toes wet in the pool. Let's just dive all the way in. With chapter 15, I make another beginning. Uh, Mr. Dick and I soon became the best of friends. And very often, when his day's work was done, I went out together to fly uh, the great kite. Every day of his life, he had a long sitting at the memorial, which never made the least progress, however uh, hard he labored, for King Charles I always strayed into it. Sooner or later, and then it was uh, thrown aside, and another one begun. Uh, the patience and hope with which he bore these perpetual disappointments, the mild perception he had that there was something wrong about King Charles I, the feeble efforts uh, he made to keep him out. Uh, and the certainty uh, with which he came in and tumbled the memorial all uh, out of all shape uh, made a deep impression on me. What Mr. Dick supposed uh, would come of the memorial, if it were to be completed, uh, where he thought it was to go or uh, what he thought it was to do, he knew no more than anybody else, I believe. Nor was it at all necessary that he should trouble himself with such questions, for if anything were certain under the sun, it was certain that the memorial never would be finished. It was quite an, uh, an affecting sight, I used to think, to see him with the kite when it was up a great height in the air, what he had told me in his room about the, his belief in its disseminating the statements pasted on it, which were nothing but old leaves of abortive memorials. Might have been a fancy with him sometimes, but not when he was out looking up at the kite in the sky and, and, and feeling it and pull and tug at his hand. Oh, oh, he never looked so serene as he did then. I used to fancy, as I sat by him of an evening on a green slope and saw him watch the kite high in the quiet air, that it lifted his mind out of its confusion and, and bore it, uh, such was my boyish thought, uh, uh, into the skies. 
as he wound the string in, and it came lower and lower down out of the beautiful light until it flooded to the ground and lay there like a, like a, like a dead thing. He seemed to wake gradually out of a dream, and, and I remember to have seen him take it up and look about him in a lost way, as if they had both come down together, so that I, oh, oh, I pitied him with all my heart. While I had uh, advanced in friendship and intimacy with Mr. Dick, ooh, nope, no jokes, I did not go backward in the favor of his staunch friend, my aunt. She took so kindly to me that, that in the course of a, of a few weeks, she shortened my adopted name of Trotwood into, oh, Trot, <laughs> and even encouraged me to hope that if I went on as I begun, I might uh, take equal rank in her affections with my sister, Betsy Trotwood. Trot, said my aunt uh, one evening, when the backgammon board was placed as usual for herself, Mr. Dick, we must not forget your education. Now, this is my only subject of anxiety, and I felt quite delighted by her referring to it. Uh, should you like to go to school at Canterbury, said my aunt. Now, I replied that I should like it very much, as it was so near to her. Yeah, yeah, good, said my aunt. Should you, should you like to go to hmm, tomorrow? Being already no stranger to the general rapidity of my aunt's ev evolutions, I was not surprised by the suddenness of the proposal and said, yes. Good, said my aunt again. Janet, uh, hire the great pony and chase tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and pack up Master Troutwood's clothes tonight. I was greatly, uh, greatly elated by these orders, but my heart smote me uh, for my selfishness when I witnessed their effect on Mr. Dick, who was so low-spirited at the prospect of our separation and, and played so ill in consequence that my aunt, after giving him several uh, abatory raps of his knuckles with her, with her dice box, shut up the board, declined to play with him any more. But... On hearing from my aunt that I should sometimes come over on a, eh, a Saturday, and that he could sometimes eh, come see me on a ah, Wednesday, he revived and vowed to make another kite for those occasions, of proportions greatly surpassing the present one. In the morning, eh, he was downhearted again, and he would have sustained himself by giving me all the money he had in his possession, gold and, uh, oh, and silver, too, if my aunt had not interposed. It limited the gift of five shillings, which, at his earnest petition, were afterwards uh, increased to ten. Well, we parted at the garden gate in a most affectionate manner, and Mr. Dick did not uh, go into the house until my aunt had driven me out of sight of it. So apparently back in these days, when you went to school, it just meant that you never went home again. Like, going to elementary school meant that you were away forever. And I imagine this is for the affluent people. How did the average kid who's not rich just go to elementary school? Did you literally have to go sleep in another building and only see your family, like, on certain days or holidays? It's, it's, uh... Something I should look into and research, but I am also too lazy because uh, I'm too busy twittering. Well, I'll get into that later. My aunt, who was perfectly indifferent to public opinion, drove the gray pony through Dover in a masterly manner, sitting high and stiff like a, like a state coachman, 
keeping a steady eye upon him wherever he went and, and making a point of not letting him have his own way in any respect. When we came into the country road, she permitted him to relax a little, however, and looking at me down in the valley of a cushion by her side, asked me whether I was happy. Eh, eh, very happy indeed. Eh, thank you, aunt, I said. Ah, she was as much gratified, and both her hands, being occupied, patted me on the head with her whip. Is it a, a, a large school, aunt? I asked. Why, I don't know, said my aunt. We are going to Mr. Wickfield's first. Does he, does he keep a school? I asked. No, Trot, said my aunt. He keeps an office. Well, I asked for no information about Mr. Wickfield, and she offered none, and we conversed on other subjects until we came to Canterbury. How can he be so uh, flippant about this? This is literally his future. Where the heck is he being taken to? And he's just like, man, I didn't ask about it, and she didn't bring it up. Where, as it was market day, my aunt had a great opportunity of in insinuating the gray pony among carts, baskets, vegetables, and, and, and huckster's goods. The hairbreadth turns and twists we made drew down upon us a, a variety of speeches from the people standing about, which were not always uh, oh, complimentary, but my aunt drove on with perfect indifference, and I dare say we would have taken her own way with as much coolness through an enemy's country. At length, we stopped before a, yeah, a very old house, bud bulging out over the road, a house with long, low, lattice windows, ugh, bulging out still farther, and beams ugh, with carved heads on the edge bulging out too, so that I fancied the whole house was ugh, leaning forward, <laughs> trying to see who was passing on the narrow pavement below. Yeah, get it? It was quite uh, spotless in its cleanliness. Uh, the old-fashioned brass knocker on the low-arched door, ornamented with carved garlands of fruit and flowers, twinkled, ooh, like a star. The two stones stepped descending to the door were as white as if they had been covered with fair linen, and all the angles and corners and carvings and moldings and quaint little panes of glass and quainter little windows, though as old as the hills, were as pure as any snow that ever fell upon the hills. Burp. When the pony chase stopped at the door, my eyes were intent upon the house. I saw a carnivorous face appear at a small window on the ground floor, eh, in a little round tower that was formed one side of the house, and quickly disappear. The low arched door then opened, then the face came out. It was quite as cadaverous as it had locked in the window, though in the grain of it uh, there was a tinge of red that is sometimes to be observed in the skin's of red-haired people. Hmm. It belonged to a red-haired person. Hmm. A youth of 15, as I take it now, but looking much older, whose hair was cropped as close as the closest stubble, who had hardly... <laughs> who had hardly any eyebrows and no eyelashes. This is getting weird. The whole ginger thing, which is kind of insulting in a way, uh, well, very much in a way, is uh, really being played up hundreds of years ago by this author. And eyes of red-brown, so unsheltered and unshaded that I remember wondering how he went to sleep. He was high-shouldered, oh, ugh, and bony. 
dressed in eh, decent black with a white wisp of a neckcloth buttoned up by the throat and had a long, lank, skeleton hand, which particularly attracted my attention as he stood at the pony's head, rubbing his chin with it and looking up at us uh, in the chaise. Is uh, Mr. Whitfield at home, Uriah Heep, said my aunt. Mr. Wickfield's at home, ma'am, said Uriah Heep. If you'll please uh, to walk in there, pointed with his long hand to the room he meant. Oh, we got out, leaving him to hold the pony, went to a long, low parlor looking toward the street, from the window of which I caught a glimpse as I went in of uh, Uriah Heep breathing into the pony's nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck is going on here? And immediately covering them with his hand as if he were putting some spell upon him. <laughs> okay, it's been a long day for me. This is, uh, this is driving me nuts. The opposite to the tall old chimney piece were two portraits. One of a gentleman with uh, gray hair, though not by any means an old man, and black eyebrows who was looking over some papers tied together with red tape. The other of a lady with a very placid and sweet expression of face who was looking at me. Oh, I believe I was turning about in search of Uriah's picture when, uh, when a door at the farther end of the room opening, uh, a gentleman entered, at sight of whom I turned to the first mentioned a portrait again to make quite sure that it had not come out of its frame. Weird. But it was stationary. Yeah, as expected. And as the gentleman advanced into the light, I saw that he was some years older than when he had had his picture painted. Miss Betsy Trotwood, said the gentleman. Pray walk in. I was engaged for a moment, but you'll excuse my being busy. You know my motive. Eh? I have uh, but one in life, Miss Betsy uh, thanked him, and we went into his room, which was furnished as an office with books and papers and tin boxes. What? Weird. And so forth. What? Just tin boxes? Just lying around? It looked uh, into a garden and had an iron safe let into the wall, so immediately over the mantel shelf that I wondered, as I sat down, how the sweeps got round it uh, when they swept in the chimney. Well, Miss Trotwood, said Mr. Wickfield, for soon I found that it was he, and that he was a lawyer, eh, and steward of the estates of a rich gentleman of the country. Eh. What blows you here? Not an ill wind, I hope. Mm -hmm. No, replied my aunt. I have not come for, for any law. Ah, that's right, ma'am, said Mr. Wickfield. You had better come for anything else. His hair was quite white now, though his eyebrows were eh, ugh, still black. He had a very agreeable face, and I thought was uh, handsome. There was a certain richness in his complexion, which I had been long accustomed under Peggotty's tuition uh, to connect with port wine. And I fancied it was uh, his, his voice, too. And he referred to his growing copulancy to the same cause. He was very cleanly dressed, uh, in a blue coat, a uh, stripped waistcoat, and nankeen trousers. What's nankeen? Let's look that up. Ah, uh, thank God for the Kindle. Nankeen, a yellowish cotton cloth. That's it. Pants made of this cloth. Okay, well... 
That was a waste of time. I apologize to my listeners. Uh, and his fine frilled shirt and uh, cambric neckcloth. I'm not going to look that up. Just going to waste your time. Looked unusually soft and white, reminding my strolling fancy, I called mind, of the plumage uh, on the breast of a, of a, of a swan. This is my nephew, said my aunt. That uh, wasn't where you had one, Miss Trotwood, said Mr. Whitfield. I am my grandnephew, uh, that is to say, observed my aunt. That wasn't where you had a grandnephew. I uh, give you my word, said Mr. Whitfield. I have adopted him, said my aunt, with a wave of her hand, importing that his knowledge and his uh, ignorance were all one to her. And I have brought him here to put uh, to a school uh, where he may be uh, thoroughly well taught and uh, and, uh, and well treated. Now tell me where that school is and what it is and uh, and all about it. Well, that's exciting. Uh, with that, why don't we, um, I don't know, you and I like to have fun, right? We like to have a good time. That's the reason why you come here. You want to have a good time with me. Why don't we go... Uh, why don't we go up to the master bedroom, huh? Slip into something a little more comfortable. Maybe it'll take a fight. Let's have a good time. Eh, oh, look at you. You're still wearing that pantsuit from the last time we talked. Well, uh, this time I want you to change into something a little more, uh, eh, I don't know. Pious. We're going to read a book, uh, we're going to learn about a book called Wrapped in Crystal by Sharon Shin. On a planet of barren, oh, can it be something more pious and also a spacesuit? On a planet barren of beauty, two religions as different as the sun and shadow, joy and grief are bound together by death. Oh, this person's not a uh, New York Times bestselling author which means I probably respect them more. A serial killer is stalking the priestess of both sex. Uh, and an, an, infer, an in, in, interfed agent, not infrared, uh, Cowan Drake must immerse himself in an unfamiliar world of stark spirituality to catch a killer. A world that will trap him between opulence and sacrifice, between desire and duty, between two extraordinary women. Mm. One who could become the killer's ultimate victim. Well, there's nothing erotic about this. Uh, Wrapped in Crystal by Sharon Shin. It's an e-book coming out. Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes Noble, uh, Books a Million, i never heard of, uh, Google Play Store, and Kobo, uh, coming out March 2nd. So if you want to not get turned on and read about uh, people on another planet with religions. Go nuts! Well, with that, we should probably take off our weird erotic spacesuits and get back into the library to keep reading this chapter. Before I can advise you properly, said Mr. Whitfield, the old question, you know, eh, what's your motive in this? Deuce take the man, exclaimed my aunt. What does that mean? To take the man? Always uh, fishing for motives. 
when they're on the surface. Why, to make the child happy and useful. Ah, it must be a, a mixed motive, I think, said Mr. Wickfield, shaking his head and smiling incredulously. They're talking about this in front of the kid. A mixed fiddlestick, returned my aunt. You claim to have one plan motive. Burp, burp. Wow, that's a couple of them right there. I'm real gassy right now. I bet on a diet. Oh, and the diet is really not doing well with me. Uh, you have one play motive in all you do yourself. Uh, you don't suppose, I hope, that you are the only plain dealer in the world? Eh, hey, but I have only one motive in life, Miss Trotwood, he rejoined, smiling. Other people have dozens, scores, and hundreds. I have, eh, only one. Uh, there's the difference. However, that's beside the question. What's his only one? Uh, the best school, uh, whatever the motive, uh, what do you want? Do you want the best? My aunt, my aunt, uh, nodded. At the best we have, said Mr. Wickfield, considering your nephew couldn't board just now. Yeah, but he could board somewhere else, I suppose, suggested my aunt. Mr. Wickfield, yeah, thought I could. After a little discussion, he proposed to take my aunt uh, to the school that he, uh, that she might see it and judge for herself. Also, uh, to take uh, to take her uh, with some object uh, to two or three houses where he thought I could be boarded. My aunt embracing the proposal. We were all three going out together when he stopped and said, uh, our little friend here might have some uh, motive perhaps. What's with this guy uh, for objecting to the arrangements? I think we had better leave him behind. My aunt seemed disposed to contest the point, but to facilitate matters, I said I would gladly remain behind, if they were pleased, and uh, return to Mr. Wickfield's office, where I might, uh, I sat down again, and in the chair I had first occupied to await their return. It so happened that this chair was opposite the narrow passage, which ended in the little circular room where I had seen Uriah Heap's pale face looking out of the window. Uriah having taken the pony to the neighboring stable, was at work at a desk uh, in this room, which had, a, which had a brass frame on the top to hang a paper upon, and on which the writing he was making a copy of was then hanging. Though his face was towards me, I thought uh, for some time, the writing being between us, that he could not see me, but looking that way more attentively, it made me uncomfortable to observe that uh, every now and then his sleepless eyes would come below the writing like two red suns and stealthily stare at me for, oh, I dare say how, a whole minute at a time, during which his pen went or pretended to go as cleverly as ever. I made several attempts to get out of their way, such as standing on a chair to look at a map or, you know, <laughs> this is getting really weird. You got one guy peeking underneath the uh, hanging papers, another uh, kid standing on a chair to look at a map uh, on the other side of the room and uh, pouring over the columns of the Kentish newspaper. Uh, but they always attracted me back again, and whenever I looked toward those two red suns, I was sure to find them, either just rising or just setting. At length, much to my relief, my aunt and Mr. Wickfield came back. After a nah, pretty long absence, they were not successful, as I could have wished, uh, for though the advantages of the school were undeniable, my aunt had not approved of any of the boarding houses proposed for me. That's uh, very unfortunate, said my aunt. I don't know what to do. Trot.
It does happen, unfortunately, said Mr. Wickfield, but I'll tell you what you can do, Miss Trotwood. Uh, What's that? inquired my aunt. Leave your nephew here. Yeah, for the present. He's a quiet fellow. He won't disturb me at all. It's It's a capital house for study, as quiet as a monastery, and almost as a as roomy. Leave him here. My aunt evidently liked the offer. Why? Nobody cares for this kid. Every time someone's going to take care of him, like, ah, how, how fast can I get rid of him? My aunt evidently liked the offer, though she was delicate of uh, accepting it. So did I. Come, Miss Trotwood, said Mr. Wickfield. This is the way out of the difficulty. It's only a, oh, a temporary arrangement, you know. If it don't act well or don't quite accord with uh, our mutual convenience, he can easily go to the right about. There will be time to find a better place for him in the meanwhile. You had uh, ooh, better determined to leave him here for the present. I am very much obliged to you, said my aunt. And so is he, I see. But, M- come. I know what you mean, cried Mr. Wickfield. You shall not be oppressed by the receipt of favors, Miss Trotwood. You may pray for him if you like. What? We won't be hard about terms, but you shall pay if you will. What? <laughs> I don't understand what just happened in that last sentence. On that understanding, uh, said my aunt, though it doesn't lessen the real obligation, I shall be very glad uh, to leave him. Uh, uh, and then come and see my little housekeeper, said Mr. Wickfield. We accordingly went up a, a wonderful, ooh, a wonderful old staircase with a, with a blazer, blazer trade. Well, it's cut off halfway on my Kindle, so I'm not going to try to look that up. A, bl- a balzatrad. So broad that we might have gone up that almost as easily and into a shady old uh, drawing room lighted by some three or four of the quaint windows I had looked up at from the street which had the old oak seats in them that seemed to, to have come out of the, the same trees the shining oak floor and the, and the great beams in the ceiling it was a prettily furnished room with a piano and some lively furniture in red and green and some flowers. And it seemed to be all nooks uh, and corners. And every nook and corner, there was some uh, queer little table or cupboard or bookcase or seat or something or other that made me think that there was not uh, such another good corner in the room. (laughs) Until I looked at the next one and found it equal to it, if not better, and on everything there was the same air of retirement and cleanliness that marked the house outside. Well, Mr. Wickfield tapped at a door in the corner of the paneled wall, and a girl came about my own age uh, and came quickly out and kissed him. What's with all the kissing? And on their face I saw immediately uh, the placid and sweet expression of the lady whose picture had looked at me downstairs. It seemed to my imagination as if the, the portrait had grown womanly and the original remained a child. That's how paintings or photos work. Although her face was quite bright and happy, there was a, there was a tranquility about it. And about her, a, a quiet, good, calm spirit that I never have forgotten that I never shall forget. So apparently they don't talk anymore in the future. We just learned that right now. This was his little housekeeper, his his daughter, Agnes. Mr. Wickfield said, eh, when I heard how he said it and how and saw how he held her hand, I guessed what the one motive of his life was. 
Yeah, she, she had a little basket trifle hanging at her side with keys in it and looked as staid and as discreet as a housekeeper in the old house could have. She, she listened to her father and told her about me uh, with a pleasant face. And then, and when he had concluded, proposed to my aunt that we should go upstairs to see my room, we all, oh, we all went together, as she before us, and a glorious old room it was, with more oak beams and diamond panes and, and a, a a broad balustrade, there's that again, going all the way up it. I cannot call, we're looking this up. It wasn't cut off this time. We're going to just see the full word. A balustrade is a railing supported by balusters. That didn't help at all. Well, I wasted your time again. I'm never looking up a single word ever again. I cannot call to mind where or when in my childhood I had seen a stained glass window in a church, nor do I recollect its subject, but I know that when I saw her turn round in the grave light of the old staircase and wait for us above, I thought of that window, and as I associated something of its tranquil brightness with Agnes Wickfield ever afterwards... Well, my, my aunt was as happy as I was in the arrangement made for me, and we went down to the drawing room again, well pleased and gratified. And as she would not hear of staying for dinner, lest she should by any chance fail to arrive at home with the gray pony before dark, and as I apprehend, Miss Wickfield knew her too well to argue any point with her. Some lunch was provided for her there, and, and Agnes uh, went back to her governess, and Mr. Wickfield to his office, and so we were left to take leave of one another without any restraint. Uh, she told me that everything would be arranged by me by Mr. Wickfield, and that I should want for uh, eh, nothing, and gave me the kindest words and the best advice. Trot, said my aunt, in conclusion, be a credit to yourself, eh, to me, Mr. Dick, and heaven be with you. Well, I was greatly overcome and could only thank her again and again and, and send my love to Mr. Dick. Never, said my aunt, be mean in anything. Never be false. Never be cruel. Avoid those three vices. Yeah, trot, and I can always be hopeful of you. Well, I promised as well as I could that I could not abuse her kindness or for, uh, forget her admonition. Uh, the pony's at the door, said my aunt, and I am off. Stay here. With these words, she embraced me hastily and went out of her room, uh, shutting the door after her. At first, I was startled by so abrupt a departure and almost feared I had displeased her. But when I looked into the street and saw how dejectedly she got into the chaise and, and drove away without looking up, oh... Oh, I understood her better. It did not do her that injustice. By five o'clock, which was Mr. Wickfield's dinner hour, I had mustered up my spirits again and was ready for my knife and fork. The cloth eh, was only laid for us two, but Agnes was waiting in the drawing room before dinner and, and, and went down with her father Oh, and sat opposite him at the table. I doubted whether he could have dined without her. Yeah, we didn't stay there after dinner, but came upstairs into the drawing room again, and in one snug corner of which Agnes set glasses for her father and a decanter of port wine. I thought we would have uh, missed its usual flavor, but it had been put there before him by uh, 
any other hands. There he sat, uh, taking his wine, uh, taking a good deal of it for, uh, for, for two hours, while Agnes played on the piano. That worked and talked to him and me. Uh, he was, for the most part, uh, gay and cheerful with us, but sometimes his eyes uh, rested on her, and he fell into a brooding state and was silent. She always observed this quickly, I thought, and uh, always roused him with a, a question or a caress, which he came out of his meditation and, uh, and drank more wine. And Agnes made the tea and presided over it. And then the time passed away after that. And as to, after dinner, Tush went to bed when her father took her in his arms and kissed her. And she being gone, ordered candles in his office. Then I went to bed, too. But in the course of the evening, I had trambled down to the door and uh, a little way along the street that I might have had another peep at the old... Wait, what? But in the course of the evening, I rambled down to the drawer and door and a little way along the street. So he just goes outside. He's just wandering outside like a weirdo. Then I might have another, have another peep at the old houses and the, the gray cathedral. It might think of my coming through that old city on my journey and of my passing. Uh, the very house I lived in, without knowing it. Mm. <laughs> and as I came back, I saw Uriah Heap shutting up the office and feeling friendly towards everybody, went in and spoke to him, and uh, at parting, gave him my, gave him my hand. Mm. And, but, oh, what a clammy hand this was. <laughs> God, again, does not like someone with red hair. Just if you're got red hair and you're a little bit lighter of skin, you're just going to be clammy and weird and gross uh, to this author. As ghostly to the touch as to the sight. Oh, I rub mine afterwards to warm it and to rub his off in italics. Yeah, this is weird. I imagine another 10, 20 years uh, making fun of people that have red hair is going to be seen pretty horribly. And this book is just failing at every corner. It was such an uncomfortable hand that, God, when I went to my room, it was still cold and wet upon my memory. And leaning out of the window and seeing one of the faces on the beam ends looking at me sideways, I fancied, eh, I fancied it was Uriah Heap. Uh, got up there somehow and uh, shut him out in a hurry. Oh, well, that was that chapter. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we retire to the smoking room and talk about what we've learned? Well, uh, let's recap the chapter now that we're in the smoking room. Get yourself settled in. One of my beautiful red uh, soft leather chairs. I'm still trying to fantasize what this room looks like. David settles in at Miss Betsy's uh, and established a, a friendship with Mr. Dick. Burp. It's decided to send David to school in nearby Canterbury. After arriving in town, they go to the office of uh, Betsy's lawyer, Mr. Wickfield, which, by today's standards, having your own lawyer that you see regularly means you've got to be pretty darn wealthy. Mr. Wickfield and Miss Betsy agree on a school for David, decide that David will live uh, at Mr. Wickfield's house uh, the whole time. Mr. Wickfield introduces him to his daughter, uh, Agnes, who is the same age as David and takes care of the house for, his, for her father. 
which was weird at first because I didn't realize it was the daughter immediately, and I thought he was just his one goal in life that he cares the most about. His most, his biggest motivation was like just the person that takes care of his house, but it's his daughter, so now it's not creepy anymore. Uh, David's quite pleased at the pleasant uh, atmosphere of the house, but is disturbed by the presence of the clerk, Uriah Heap, uh, who makes him feel gross. So, uh, what's good about this? Well, David finally has someone that's uh, looking out for his best interest and doesn't hate him the whole time. Uh, what sucks? Well, he finds someone that likes him and doesn't hate him the whole time, but then that person's like, get out of my house, go to school. Which I imagine is, uh, I guess, normal for the time that you don't live in your home while you go to school. You gotta live at the school, which is weird. Uh, what do we learn? Well, we learn that racism... Contrary to popular belief, is subjective. Oh, there's no hard rules with racism. Uh, racism is kind of across the across the spectrum, most like how uh, a lot of things are. That uh, if you're a white person, you think, oh well, I'm I'm good. I'm in with the the group that's got the most benefits, and uh, you think, okay, I'm good. But then you see someone that's too white and has red hair. Then you think, oh, they're like a, a clammy fish. And you just judge them. You judge the heck out of them. Uh, much like Uriah, uh, Uriah Heap. But uh, are you really in the clear? Are you a white person with black hair that's too curly or something? Are you a, a white person with fingers that are too long? Uh, or your lips are, are weird? There's got to be some reasons why someone looks at you and thinks, they're not of my breed. And I will not accept them. Much like Uriah Heat. So, one thing we could take away from this is, uh, even if you're a racist person, uh, you're still not in the clear. Someone is going to oppress you, probably, for some reason, uh, to a lighter degree than others. But uh, the, the, uh, I guess I'm just thinking about Trump. Trump had a CPAC this week, and he was just going off. And his stage was literally shaped like a neo-Nazi symbol, which is undeniable. And uh, so the whole thing's just been haunting me, that America, the country I live in, is uh, just getting creepier and creepier and creepier. And I have no idea what's going to happen next. And uh, no one's off the hook. Well, with that lighter note, uh, thanks for listening. (laughs) And... uh, And I'll see you later on this week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most, where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. Tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now nah, there's there's that. Uh, I I are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read. Uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. 
and conveniently enough, at Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a House Nuzzle, so I got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. 